This is the Santita Jackson Show. It would be so nice if we could change Santita Jackson's world. She's still under the weather. I am so hoping she feels better. But because we work for a lovely progressive station, they just said, you know what, Santita, take the rest of the week off. Heal, mend, feel better. So here I am, Tory writer in for Santita Jackson on Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT. Welcome. I'm excited to introduce, I don't even have to really introduce you probably because you will have seen her work, heard her work, read her work somewhere. She has almost a half a million followers on TikTok, 11 million likes. And for those of you who think, if you think, that TikTok is for the young and hip, I got news for you. TikTok is not necessarily for the young and hip. It's just for the hip altogether. Because Annie Corzin has become sort of a guru of women's wisdom and humor on TikTok. And she's here with us now. Annie, welcome. You're on WCPT. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. How are you? I'm doing all right, considering that every day that Santita has been out, I've thought, well, maybe tonight I'll sleep for, oh, more than four hours. So at this point, <laughs> I, at this point, you are, are becoming like my walker, you know, when, with people who use, um, you're it. You're, if I don't have you, I may just fall down altogether. So tell us about the book. Tell us about the, the, the rise to glory in TikTok. And more to the point for CPT, tell us what women who are younger, and you're pretty proud of your age, so I'll just say it, 85. Tell us what younger... 85 of la- last week I turned 85. Oh, yeah. mazel tov. Tell me what women are asking... <clears throat> Excuse me. Tell me what young women want to know from you about their lives. So first, a little bit about your background and your and your your rise to glory on TikTok. Uh, well, my rise to glory on TikTok it was totally unexpected. I, for the most part of my life, I've considered myself a failure, a mostly unemployed actress, and I did writing and I did storytelling. I mean. <clears throat> I'm known a little bit because I had, I was fortunate and I had a, a, uh, uh, recurring role on Seinfeld. So that helped a lot. But basically, I've always felt that I had a lot to say and I could not find the audience. I couldn't find where to say it. Uh. And then, uh, one thing as you grow older, you should really have younger friends. <laughs> yeah. So. <clears throat> I had a 30-year-old friend, and I was saying to her, gee, I'd like to find more, you know, more of an audience out there. Maybe I should put some little some little videos on Instagram, which I don't even know how to use. And, she, and she's 30, so she said, oh, Insta is so toxic. It's so last century. You belong on TikTok. <laughs> and I said, you're crazy. Why would anybody want to see TikTok is for young girls, you know, putting on makeup and, and shaking their butts and... One of the themes of my book is to be open to crazy experiences. And I theme, and I say, when someone suggests something that I think is ridiculous, 
I always just say, well, yeah, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> and that's what I did. Now, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say, if you want me to go bungee jumping, I'm not going to say, yeah, why not? But, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think I that thought, there, anything where you could actually have to have your teeth replaced is probably something <laughs> you should skip. That's right. Yeah. When there's a, exactly. When there's a chance of personal harm, I'm not there. But, yeah, to put some videos up on what can I lose? Right. What can I lose? And she said, trust me, you will go viral. And I did. I'm still not sure why. What were some of the early ones? What were some of the early ones that people just went crazy for? Well, it's funny that you ask about young women because that statement. In the beginning, I talked a lot about relationships and dating and marriage. And that seemed, and thrifting. And those subjects seemed to strike a chord with women. Uh, because everybody wants to know, how do I meet a guy? How do I maintain a relationship? Blah, 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 blah. And I think I've had enough life experience to maybe have some wisdom in those areas. You know, that's interesting that uh, you would say that because when I, my preconception about TikTok is that every single young woman on there is looking for the perfect thruple. She, you know, they all want four lovers and, and to write it up in New York Magazine about oh, how, how you that's can... Interesting. That's oh, That's not what no, you found. Okay, that's what did you... That's not what I found. Okay, what did you people find? Wanted, people said, I really want to meet... How did you meet your husband? How do you meet the right guy? And uh, and I have some opinions about that. For well, example, give, give me, give me, give me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Well, <clears throat> you know, I think when people say what they're looking for, when they describe themselves, it always seems to me that they're looking for a clone. Yeah. Well, you know, I like theater. I like movies. I like walks in the park. I like my husband and I have very very little in common. Okay. <laughs> he watches. He watches news and sports. I binge on on uh, on series. Uh, he's a date, so he likes he could have a meal of bread and herring and be happy. I need Chinese food. I mean, he's a he's a morning person. I'm a night person. We don't. We're not alike. Yeah, you know, I have that too. I have that too. It's like I had to explain to the spousal unit on like our second and third date that he would be going, in in fact to make my point, I bought him a tent for one that I would not be joining (laughs) him I seriously did. I went to REI because he is really, you know, he's trying to get me to like the things he likes. And I finally oh, said, you know, look, you love me. We have a great yeah. time when we enjoy some stuff together. And, you know, off you go camping. Enjoy. In fact, take one right. of my girlfriends who likes camp- anything but taking exactly. me. I don't care. Exactly. And I think that's so true. I had a girl. I fixed up a girlfriend with a guy. I knew they'd be right. And they liked each other. It was going okay. But then she called me. She said, this is not going to work. I said, why not? She said, I looked at his, these were the days of CDs. I looked at his CDs. He only had jazz. He didn't have classical music. And I yelled at her. Good. I said, just what you said. I said, you can go to the opera with your girlfriend. She said, something wrong with jazz. It's not like he's listening to the 100 best poker records of all time. <laughs> and, and you don't have to. Here's what's important to me. In my marriage, yeah, my husband is as interested or even more interested in my career than I am. That's a now, huge one. That is, wait, stop right there because that is huge. Major, yes, right? yes, yes, yes. Right. 
And and I don't think young women, they, so they want somebody who likes the same books and likes the same things. And like that's all really not what's important. Does he like you? Does he interested in what in what you need for your life? Like your career, you know, we're all working girls, right? Yeah. And if you've got to have, and when I, in my generation, because I'm so old, everything was always about the man's job, the man's career, everything, you know, that took precedence over everything. And now I think we have to have a little more <laughs> equality on many levels, but on that subject. Anyway, but that was the beginning. But now what has happened, I think there's something happening in this country, I've noticed, <clears throat> is that suddenly, not just from young women, there's a sudden interest in the wisdom of older women. And I say it's about darn time that there's, even in fashion, there's something called coastal grandma, there's something called uh, retired art teacher, there's certain looks in fashion huh. uh, that, 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 that illustrate the style of older women. I don't know. I think it started with Betty White, quite frankly. Huh. That suddenly people are thinking, look at her. She can dance. She can make jokes about sex. She can act. She's a, she's a person. She's not a stereotype. I still do resent it when I go to a restaurant and the guy says to my, my husband, would you care for a cocktail, sir? And then he turns to me and says, and how about you, young lady? Oi. I do not appreciate that. <laughs> well, but I mean, I, I suppose that going on. I suppose there's a lot there's a lot of like, well, what do we say? And how about you? Yeah, you old hag. I mean, what are they supposed to? <laughs> well, Ma- madam, said, madam would be nice if he's sir. I you should get to be madam. Man. Yeah, right. If it's sir, if it's sir, if it's sir, what's the equivalent of sir? Yeah, madam. Are you, ma'am? Are you madam? Madam. Or, you yes. Know, I, I don't know. Call me madam. There you go. I think that actually <laughs> is a known phrase in our language, especially if you love theater. So yeah, that's that's very true. And so young women are calling and uh, contacting you via TikTok, and yeah, you give advice. Now, it's not, but what happened, the weird thing is when I get stopped in the street, it's really by very young, often black, often, often, how should I say, people totally not like me. Or at uh, least on the surface. And they're, and they're like just out of college. They're college kids are just out of college. Uh-huh. And when I say to them, what is it? What is it that you're, that you get from me? And they say, you're honest and you're authentic and you're funny, which I appreciate but everybody's honest and authentic and funny. I'm not sure. That I way, no, hard. I'm going to argue with you. I think a lot of women, and I would trace this back to, to, to Helen Gurley Brown and things like Cosmo Magazine and what was yeah. that stupid book, The Rules. I think that oh, God. W- uh, women were told that actually what we should be doing was positioning ourselves to appeal to men in general and a particular type of man that we decided would make our lives easy and better. And so at the point where we had twisted ourselves into enough pretzels, we decided, okay, now, now we're perfect. And at the end of the day, you can, uh, you can only hold that pose for so long. I mean, at, at some point you're going to say how you really feel or you explode. You no, know, I love what you're saying. I love what you're saying because I have to tell you something. All those things that young people do, so young people don't know how to say no. And they don't, they, young people want to please. I don't care about pleasing anymore. Good. I'm confident in my wisdom. I'm confident that my opinion needs but I got to tell you something. All my life, 
which I, I have been criticized for, A, talking too much, B, uh, having being too opinionated, <laughs> and C, uh, being too direct and blunt and honest about my opinions. I've always apologized for that. I was told, for one thing, it wasn't feminine. Uh. That women, that what you're saying, attractive women didn't talk and share their opinions. And guess what? Now that I don't care about pleasing other people and I myself, I am being celebrated for those same qualities that I always apologize for. So what I want everyone in the world to know is do not be imprisoned by other people's opinions of you. And, and you can be direct without being mean or rude, although sometimes yeah. that's useful. I mean, it should be a, it should be an arrow in your quiver. It should be, a you know, something in your arsenal. But for the most part, um, let me just ask you, how many jobs do you figure you you lost by just being honest or being yourself? Can you count? Jobs I didn't lose by being honest because I lost jobs for another reason, which I will also share with you. Please. I'm very Jewish looking and in Hollywood. That means ugly. So I never would get, <clears throat> I would never, to this day, if they said, uh, we want to cast an attractive older woman, I would not be seen for that role. Uh. I, don't, I, just, I play obnoxious women, obnoxious urban women. I mean, I don't mind. It's fun. But I have not been seen beyond that. And now the miracle again on TikTok is these young kids are t- calling me gorgeous. They're calling me queen. They're calling me icon. They like my stuff. I'm a big thrifter, so I wear vintage stuff. Oh, you and me you know? both. You and me. That okay. and Poshmark, the two of my... my the, <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> I'd be funny. naked, absolutely naked, if it weren't for thrift stores and Poshmark. So talk <laughs> about your book a little bit. You have a new book out. What's it called? What's in it? Why oh. should people get it? Tell me about it. Everyone in the world should get it. It's called, believe it or not, The Book of Annie. It's called The Book of Annie, uh, Humor, Heart, and Hutzpah from an Accidental Influencer. And I hope what people do when they read it, it's a, it's a bunch of personal essays, but also um, humorous observations. It's like a lot of the stuff I talk about on TikTok, but in book form. And I hope, as I say that people will be inspired to think outside the box, to be themselves, to take chances. Oh, and here's a really important one. To not be afraid of failure. Because failure is probably your greatest learning op. If you can fail, and we all do, no one has not failed, right? Right. And if you can fail uh, and get something out of it, it's a great gift. And I'm so glad you said that. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was just uh, listening to a science podcast and they recommended there was there was a woman who started, I think it's a website for people's scientific failures, famous and not famous. Because oh, I love yeah, she said, you know, everybody knows me by my project that succeeded, but nobody knows how many pro- lab experiments and, and grants I got for projects that just were abysmal disasters. And so, you know, people just think that if you're brilliant, everything you do works perfectly and, and you can just coast on from success to success. So you're really putting your finger on something that everybody needs to start talking about, which is 
when you blew up your job, when you blew up your life, when you tried and it didn't work. And these young here's the thing. I, I know you're going to agree with me on this. A lot of the, the recent school of parents were taught to tell their kids, you're the best, you're perfect, <laughs> you're wonderful. Right. And I told my kids, well, you know, maybe you're a little better than average. And if you want to be something more than that, you're going to have to work a little harder. And uh, You know, it's so funny that you say that. You're the second person who said that to me this week. That's interesting. Maybe, maybe you're onto something. I do feel that there's a kind of a sense of, that these that these kids just expect everything to happen to them because they've always been told. Yeah, uh, when your parents tell you that you're the most everything in the world, they're telling you that because they're your parents and not because it's the truth for Pete's sakes. I mean, it's really weird. So to have you publicly in your book talk about failing, you can be everybody's parent that they should have had. And, and everybody's reality that they should have known. I mean, the first time my kid got fired, I was like, great. This is the world. Good for you. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, Mom. So, you know, you, you and I are the same person. My son got fired uh, at a time in a very cool way at one point mm-hmm. when he was, I forget how old he was, uh, 20s or 30s. And he got fired just before the holidays, just before Christmas. And, uh, and we had run out of money. We couldn't pay his rent. He had to pay his rent, and we couldn't help him. I said, Jono, I wish we could help you, but you're on your own. And he got a job offer, and he called me. He said, I don't know if I should take this. It's a startup. I never heard of them. They're not really up yet, and it's a, it's a slip to Jersey. But it's something that could turn into something I don't know. And I said, Jono. It's a job offer. You need money. And it might just be something special. You know what it was? Oh, go tell me. <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, it was a little company called Audible.com. Oh, my gosh. And he worked his way up in the company, ended up being head of head of PR for Audible. Oh, good. And then, um, so, but I mean, it was it was. But it was, again, it was one of those, yeah, why not moments. What? Why not? Just try it. See what happens. That's what they should see. That's what the your TikTok. No, well, you know what? Sometimes it's better even if you don't bail them out, even if you can. Because, I mean, it's really interesting when you get to be as you are an influencer, people are probably coming to you with these problems and you get to say like, this is my real experience. And you are, I mean, I hate to use this cliche, but this, this is actually empowering women to make them unafraid to fail, to make them understand that someone is not going to come and save their tuchas every time something goes wrong. This is the kind of thing that needs to be happening in social media. And I really don't need to see any more um, false eyelash application videos. <laughs> really, you don't? Are you sure about no, that? No, no. I, don't okay, even get funny, me started on the say, false eyelashes. I uh, honest to Pete uh, think that the next thing they're going to market is some kind of prop to hold up your eyelid with the nine mile long false eyelashes. The Navy should be using these things as radar to detect incoming projectiles and ships. They're just I it's just that we're talking woman stuff. Is is most of this the the listening audience women? You know, I have a woman thing. Oh, go ahead. I have a woman thing. I have to ask you about. Go ahead. Have you tried to buy a bra recently? Can I? Can I, I would like a bra 
that's cotton and wireless. It's just for every day, not a party bra where you have to have wires and support. And every time I go to look for a bra, they are they are inflatable. They're like they're like flotation devices. <laughs> I don't want to wear rubber on my but you cannot find something that's not. Do you, do, you, do you know what I'm talking Can about? Can I just tell you that during COVID, I put a post up on social media that I think got more likes than anything I've ever posted. And it was something like day 397 of COVID lockdown, day 376 of wearing a sports bra. And everybody was like, yeah, yeah, this is liberation. I'm not wearing that mother whalebone thing that jacks me up like some kind of sailing device. I'm just going to, it's really, it, it, it is kind of, you know what I miss about buying bras? I miss, there used to be in every city, small towns, I'm sorry. Um, I know what you're going to say, and ev- you're right. In every city, there was a shop, and it was usually these usually little they, Jewish they, ladies. They, they, I don't know why, or Russian ladies, or Ukraine, <laughs> Eastern European <laughs> ladies, and they would pick up your breasts and kind of stuff them into whatever they thought. Oh, my God. I know exactly the store. I used to go to it in the 90s on Broadway in New York. See? On the side of New York. See? Right? There was one they in Chicago. Exist. I'm sure there was one in, in every city, and you would be standing in this dressing room, and there'd be some woman. I mean, there isn't a word for manhandling for women, but that's really what it was. They were just kind of manipulating your tissue as though it didn't even belong to you. And then you'd look in the mirror and you'd go, holy smokes, how did my breasts come up around my neck? How did that happen? But they they also could look at you and like Superman, they had x-ray vision. They could look at you. You could be wearing a hefty bag with a hole cut out for your head and two for your arms. And they would look at you and they'd go, oh, 38C. I don't know how they did it. Exactly it. That's exactly so it. I, I do miss yeah, those. And I, young women are not going to have that experience. No. True. No, it's, it's not. True. It's not available to them anymore. But, but uh, here. By are, the way. Yes. No, I just want to go back for a second to the thing about failing. Uh, <clears throat> I, for a long time, I did this thing called storytelling. You can hear me on the moth, you know, uh, uh, storytelling. Uh, it's how I started. Well, anyway, a storytelling, by that I mean the personal humorous essay, okay? We got about a minute, started, so tell me quickly. Oh, okay. I was out very fast. I wanted to beat the moth. I wanted to be with the moth. I contacted them for nine years and nothing happened, and I gave up. And the day after I gave up, they called, and they said, we want you. And I said, what? What took so long? And they said, you got better. Ah, uh, I love that story. The Wisdom of Annie. That is your book, right? No, The Book of Annie. The Book. Oh, thank you. I'm so sorry. The Book of Annie. You can find it every place and on the company that owns Audible, Amazon, too. The Book That's of Annie. Right. You should get it. Thank you. And on Audible. And on Audible. Audio. Thank you, Annie Corson. You're a joy to have on WCPT. More in a moment. Santita Jackson's show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Santita 
6.33, Tory Ryder in for Santita Jackson. I am going to be here all the way till 8 o'clock and tomorrow, too, while Santita rests and recovers. Um, you're going to be meeting a number of people, including you're going to hear about a little bit of Autumn at the Morton Arboretum. You're going to find out about an L.A. talk show host who got fired, perhaps, for her religion on a progressive station out there. That should be fascinating. And right now, I want you to meet. I love meeting inspiring people. That's a great reason to do talk radio. I really think that you're going to be just astonished at one what one person can do. Um, please, please meet Officer Magallon. I hope that's not. What is your official title? So I get this right. Sorry, hey, uh, Jesus is fine. Jesus Magallon. Uh, okay. Yep, I'm a Chicago police officer, right? And that's not all you are. You are a former Chicago public school teacher. You are a doctoral candidate at DePaul, although by now you may be Dr. Magallon for all I know. And and you have created a project just for the kids of the immigrants who were hanging around or stuck or living at Chicago's police stations. Would you talk a little bit about the story of how you came to be doing what you're doing? Sure, I'd be happy to. And, Tori, thank you so much for that really nice introduction. Uh, you know, and I, again, I just want to reiterate, uh, you know, the, the work I've been doing has been uh, really mostly, almost entirely off-duty. Uh, so any comments I make, personal viewpoints, not representative of the department. Okay. But, uh, boy, boy I, am, I am so proud to be working on this uh, bilingual book drive, this initiative out of our 25th District uh, Chicago Police Department Community Policing Office. Uh, basically, the genesis of this program has been to collect uh, as many uh, second uh, elementary and secondary uh, books uh, in Spanish and in English for our uh, new arrival migrant population uh, that are you know currently situated at our, at our stations. That being said, uh, it's not the sole focus. Uh, we've been donating books to shelters, to CPS students, to libraries, uh, and to other residents, including police families all throughout the city. Wow, that is a lot of hard work. So I'm guessing that you have always loved literacy because you are a former teacher. Uh, I myself was an adult literacy volunteer at one point. So I think that we would agree that no matter what your situation is, if you have a book and you can sink into it, for a little while you have respite. For a little while you have peace. And certainly when you come to a new country, it's really important to be able to read in the language of the place where you are. But, you know, that's not an instant overnight thing. So what what were you seeing that led you to realize that books were, were really a necessary thing in the the communities that you were coming in contact with? Sure. I'm 100 percent, Tori. I, um, I just have to mention that I, uh, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that children, uh, all children should have universal access to books. And just like you said, I mean, really, it's there's so much that could be said for sitting down with a book and just learning uh, at your own pace and learning what interests you about the world and uh, different contents and just, you know, the act of reading is so powerful. Uh, I myself, you know, growing up uh, in a Mexican-American household and community, uh, you know, I had two very hardworking parents, blue-collar background, and libraries were a refuge for me to just kind of sit down and uh, learn. And I just wanted to make sure that all children have that same opportunity uh, as well. 
So what what ages of kids are you serving at the police? Let's start with those, the police stations. What what ages are the kids there who need books and what books are you matching them with? And how does that happen? Do you do you, do you go with a knapsack? Do you pull up with a SUV? How is the what's the mechanics of your project? Primarily, our books have been focused on uh, kindergarten, sixth grade. Although, I, you know, like I said, we have an open book policy, you know, six, uh, K through eight. Uh, happy to pick up some high school books as well. Uh, you know, we're just, I guess, in the, in the book business right now. Uh, so primarily, we've been uh, actually dropping off uh, our books to different shelters around our district on the northwest side. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, I, you know, we, we have a small capacity to, you know, there's other projects that we're working on in our office, but... This is something I'm just really trying to get the ball rolling, and hopefully uh, I'd love to team up with some other literacy nonprofits, Chicago Public Libraries. Um, I mean, any organization that might be interested in lending us a hand uh, to kind of increase capacity here. Oh, that's uh, a good – wait, I'm going to pause you. That's yeah. a good question. You mentioned the libraries. Can can the new immigrants get library cards? That's a good question. I'm, I'm actually not sure about what the process is for that. But, uh, you know, again, we're just kind of hoping to, to spread the word about books and having that available for mm-hmm. – Especially for, for right now, especially for all of our children. Yes, yes. So, so what are the popular books where where the kids' faces just they come to you and say, "I loved this book," or the parents, for that matter? <laughs> well, you know what? I uh, some of the popular titles. I mean, like uh, the Captain Underpants. I've seen people in Spanish. You know, oh, really... <laughs> Captain! Under, I'd forgotten all about Captain Underpants. That's yeah. I can see why they would like that. Um, so you, you distribute Captain Underpants in Spanish. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that is correct. Although, you know, we've had some generous donations of even books in English, too. And, you know, I, I probably should be a little bit more uh, careful the way we curate. But again, too, part of me is like, oh, gosh, I just want to present these books and have the kids pick, you know, what what they connect with, you know, because isn't that how we connect with a book? Too? Sure, I mean, sure. Yeah, it's just, you know, by by what catches our eye and what catches our attention. Yeah, so. there's nothing wrong with Captain Underpants. I still remember. <laughs> uh, well, here's a story. So I, my kids went to a religious day school in California, and I needed I, – I, do you remember the Scholastic Book Fair? I mean, not to, be too, not to be too horrible, <laughs> but I was really disappointed with the offerings of the book fair. I thought they were selling a lot of plastic tchotchkes and crap. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so – so with the understanding that if you complain about something, you have to do something about it, I mm. complained about the book fair. And we made a partnership with a local bookstore, and that's how we did it for the rest of the time, like the next nine years. And I became known around the school in War Wings as the book fairy. So I'm <laughs> guessing that you have also become a personality to some of these kids. And when they see you coming, they know they're going to have a great time with some some new books. Are you interacting in your off-duty hours with the community, or how many people are involved? Sure. Well, we, we're just getting the ball rolling on this project over the last few months. Uh, and, I, you know, I can't speak to how the kids react, but, again, I'm just happy to be there as a resource, as, uh, you know, uh, as, as kind of the hub for this for this project. Um, I do want to give a big shout-out, uh, Tori, to Bernie's Book Bank in Lake, uh, Lake Bluff, uh-huh. who really who have been wonderful, absolutely wonderful in getting the ball rolling on this project. They've donated almost close to 200 books to us. Um, wow. You know, and I just did a little bit of research. I was kind of looking around who in the Chicagoland area might be good to partner with. Um, I kind of connected with them, and they were so awesome. They, the, the very next day, they were shipping stuff out, out to the station, uh, and we were, you know, I was just kind of starting to, to organize things and 
uh, over the last maybe month and a half or so. Are a lot of your fellow officers volunteering their off-duty time to help with this project? Or where, where are the other people coming from who help you out? You know what? From all walks of life. And, and you know what? My fellow officers, they've been wonderful, too, just offering support and, you know, moral and physical. Uh, again, you know, I'm, I myself, I'm still, you know, we're still trying to get our he- uh, head around this, you know, the right scope of this project. And uh, but the big thing is just to make sure that these books are available uh, for kids. And I don't know. I don't know what ultimately this is going to look like. Maybe a, a lending library. Maybe this is a, a weekly drop off. But I just want to make sure that we're keeping uh, awareness of this project. I'm wondering if you're helping. I'm guessing there are some kids who are coming because it's such a long and difficult road to get here. There may be some kids who are coming who need to learn to read. Is that true? Well, you know, again, I you know, I have my, my personal opinion on that, but I also, I, you know, I, I, I just hope that those books are available to at least, again, allow them to, to begin, uh, you know, those basic uh, building blocks of, of literacy. Yes. So, uh, so that well, was going to be my next question. So if they come to you with the book and they want or their parents want uh, help with reading and is there help available? Is that going to be, you think, maybe part of the project or is that for a different agency to take on? Maybe that's for a different agency. Uh, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I know it's interesting for the, the CPD, the police department, to kind of take the, you know, an officer to take the lead on that. And it, it's just, you know, I just saw a need, a need in the community. And again, even if I hand this project off, I just wanted to make sure that we were starting it up and, uh, you know, just allowing other agencies to know, hey, we're open to collaboration and let's uh, let's just, let's help uh, our folks out here. So is this happening now entirely on Chicago's northwest side or where are the, the points of contact for the books and the kids and the folks distributing them? Yes, Tori, that's a great question. Uh, yes, it's been concentrated on the northwest side right now. I would love to connect with uh, some other uh, some book people all throughout the city, the south side, west side, uh, everywhere, uh, southeast side, wherever you know, wherever we can uh, throughout Chicago, and it, it would be nice. I mean, at the minimum, to get some kind of a, uh, I don't know, I guess a little plan developed here to how we can serve um, all of our children, all, all of our uh, Spanish-speaking children, uh, of new, new arrivals and, and non too. So, it, just again, it's having those books available. This is this has so much potential, and I'm thrilled about it. I, I have to ask: Is this part of your doctoral work at DePaul, or is this a whole separate project? <laughs> you know, I uh, most of my research has been uh, focused on community policing. Uh, you know, my <laughs> current assignment at work, and uh, I feel like you know this has been an offshoot of that. Uh, you know, my current role as a youth officer. So it, it's funny uh, the things that you know I've been able to learn at DePaul and apply it to some of the community policing programs in my district, which has been great. I mean, you know, really innovative problem solving uh, programs, techniques, uh, and as well as vice versa. I, I think I've been able to provide a perspective to, you know, some of my fellow classmates too, uh, in, you know, on, on my experiences in the field. But uh, yes, long story short, it's a nice circular way of saying, yeah, I, I'd say that, that some, some of my research has informed uh, the way that we carry out our programs. I would think. I mean, it, it seems like the kind of program where you just bring, you know, like the hokey pokey, you put your whole self in. You you have to. Um, because yeah. this kind of volunteer project will really, well, it will take over your life if you let it because the need is so great. Exactly. Um, and so how many folks are involved right now? Just rough guess for you. Like we got a dozen oh, involved, a couple of dozen. What what What's part of it right now? Yeah, I mean, Tori, honestly, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, kind of taking the lead here. Uh, okay, well. you're a solo yeah. act is what you're telling me. <laughs> but, but real quick, Tori, I just want to share like a really, really neat uh, email I got uh, last night. do, yes. It was from, 
from a senior citizen uh, in, in Elgin, Illinois, who I guess she saw me on uh, WGN talking about this the other day. Um, and she was so touched that, you know, she just told me, you know, hey, officer, I, I'm very, uh, really, really moved by this story. And I, I you have uh, 92 books coming your way. So I'm like, oh, gosh, now we got to prepare for it. But it's wonderful. I just love to see the community, uh, you know, really, really helping out. And, and, and that's what it's about. It's about books and literacy and making sure these kids have universal access. to. That's to great. Books. I love stories like that. So so now a practical consideration. Where, where uh, are you stashing these books before you get them into the hands of the kids? What, what do you do with them when they come? I know, Tori. This is kind of a fly as you go. We're, we're figuring that part out, too, because storage is limited, capacity is limited, and, and distribution, too. I mean, and I do have other uh, job responsibilities and functions, so I'm trying to do this as much as I can off-duty, yeah. which is why I'm hoping to maybe partner up with another organization that could help us with storage, distribution. Um, yeah, I, you know, we'll see We'll see what we can do. I, you know, I, I have faith in uh, our Chicago uh, nonprofits and, and agencies, and I hope... Uh, I'm hoping to make a connection with one of them. So what uh, you're telling me, community. what you're telling me right now is that you're parking in your driveway because your garage is full of books is what you're telling me right now. <laughs> uh, something like that. That's, that sounds, uh, we're not there yet. And I, I kind of hope we don't get there, <laughs> but uh, I'm just doing my best like everybody else. I'm, I'm trying to uh, not let this take uh, over, which uh, I know it's, it's tempting. We want to do good, but we got to make sure that we're, uh, Taking it one step at a time, too. Of course you do. Of course. I mean, you are, you, you've got a lot. Do you, I just have to ask, do you have a family in the middle of all this with the PhD and the police department and the project for literacy and books? I mean, are, is there anybody at home going, okay, Jesus, slow down, Jesus, enough, Jesus, no, yes? Well, well uh, with the, my wonderful patient girlfriend, uh, who's a CPS teacher at Lincoln Park High School, uh, ah. she's Catherine. Catherine has been uh, a wonderful support uh, through me throughout this. And, uh, you know, as well, you know, and just, you know, from my, my extended family, too, just it's nice to hear uh, warms, uh, words of support. And, as you know, we continue to work on this. And, Tori, too, you know, the other thing, too, is we, we got so many great projects going on at the 25th District Community Policing Office, really innovative problem-solving uh, programs that, that we're all, that we're really trying to focus in on that I, uh, yeah, again, I'm just trying to find enough time for all of it. I don't know how <laughs> you do it, but I will ask you because I know people are going to want to know if they want to volunteer or support or send books. Um, and I can put this up on my personal socials, but where, what is the point of contact for you for this work that you're doing? Thank you so, so much. I'm going to go ahead and give people, I'll, I'll give my email address. Okay. Uh, so it's JMA. I'm writing G-A-L. it down. J M A G A L. Number two. Oh. At Gmail. At Gmail. Okay, you're going to want mm-hmm. one just for this project, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll see where it goes. But again, I'm just happy to do my little part. Uh, you know, to, to serve uh, the, the city and, and its residents. So. And and they can reach out to you at jmagal2 at gmail.com and then inquire, like, where would I send a check? Are you, by the way, officially a nonprofit now, or is this just you're, you're giving because no. it's good and you're not getting a tax write-off for this? It's just to do it. Correct, yeah. Yeah, no no monetary donations. We're just taking in-kind books right now. Uh, and... Um, yeah, that's that's the gist of it. Uh, thank you. I just want to say thank you to everybody out there that's been really wonderful, I, especially with the holidays coming up. This has been a really uh, it's it's an honor. It's a privilege to, to work on this project. So, well, I'm I'm glad you feel that way. I hope you feel that way a year from now. <laughs> 
<laughs> I hope you're not like lying flat out on your bed going, that, that's it. No more books. I can't look at another book. So we will put that information out. I personally, as a lover of libraries and books and, and as someone, I mean, books really saved my life. We were, I'll yeah, just, same here. We were always like for a long time, my family moved to Kansas. Don't even ask. And I was, <laughs> I got, I had a hard time with the other kids for lots of reasons. And it was the school library and the school librarian who really saved me. So I, I yeah. love books, libraries, and I think that if anyone, even if you're not a reader, that the, just know that reading a book can save somebody's sanity, their life, just change their world. And for you to be doing this is huge. So thank you, Jesus Magallon. Um, and we will do what we can to support you and the kids that you're, you're getting these books to. And it's been lovely having you on WCPT. Thanks so much. Tori, thank you so much for being such a wonderful host, and it's been a pleasure being a, being a guest. So well, thank you so much. We'll check back. Thanks a lot. That is Officer Jesus Magallon. He is a community policing officer on the Northwest Side, and if you're just joining us, he has set up a project getting books in primarily in Spanish, um, but to uh, the new immigrants, the new arrivals, also to shelters. And he's just taken this on himself. So, you know, maybe part of your holiday shopping would be uh, getting some of these what, Spanish version of Captain Underpants, he says, is very, very popular right now. And you can reach him at jmagal2 at gmail.com. In a moment, I just I just want to update you on a I, I don't. We're going to go from the lovely to to the horrifying in a moment on WCPT. It's the Santita Jackson Show. I'm Tori Ryder in for Santita. This is the Santita Jackson Show. It is absolutely the Santita Jackson Show. I am Turi with you, rider like the truck, in for Santita today, tomorrow. We hope and expect that by next week you will have your Santita Jackson back again. But you know how it is. You know, you have optimism. You're going to get better right away. And then sometimes it takes a little longer than you think. If you want to join me this morning, uh, you can be part of the show by texting or calling. Sometimes texting is better if this is your morning routine and you're racing to grab the coffee and get to work. 773-763-WCPT is the point of contact by text or by phone. If you have thoughts about uh, the folks you've heard from this morning, I unfortunately, (laughs) I really wish this were not something that I had to talk about today. It's just, it's a, it's a, I don't know. It's disgusting, really. <laughs> if you didn't follow the news of the Highland Park shooter, then the name um, Crimo or Crimo, I never get it right, um, will be new to you. But most of us know that Robert Crimo Jr., the father of the alleged Highland Park massacre shooter, 
the young man who got up on the top of a building and gunned down people at random in a 4th of July parade, that incident, that in a rather unusual move, the father was charged with, what was the actual charge? I'm, I'm, he, he pleaded guilty to uh, seven misdemeanor counts of reckless conduct because he helped his son acquire a gun ownership card and a gun, um, even though his son had threatened a mass murder in the past, had had trouble at school, had psychiatric indicators that perhaps he should not be getting a gun. Well, last week, before it hit trial, the father, who had helped provide his son with access to these deadly weapons, pleaded guilty. He agreed to serve 60 days in jail, two years of probation, rather novel. And you think, okay, they want a conviction. This is the way they can be sure that they'll get it and perhaps even set a precedent that if you behave irresponsibly, even if you're not the one who commits an, an inc- a, a shooting or crime or some sort of behavior, if you're, if you're part of the process that enables that to happen in a gun crime, you can go to jail. So it was important for the prosecution to make that point. And I heard several legal experts say uh, this was the best way to make sure that that happened was for him to plead guilty. Okay, so he shows up to turn himself in yesterday for his 60-day jail sentence. This is not the brightest bulb in the chandelier, this guy. He's wearing a brand new T-shirt with big printing on it that says, I'm a political pawn. The judge was not happy with this. By the time he was actually in the courtroom, uh, he had turned his shirt inside out. The back of the shirt, by the way, read laws, facts, reality. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. That sounds like some chant in a foreign language. I mean, I have no idea. Laws, facts, reality. I, I do not know. But I'm a political pawn is pretty clear. And the judge said, the rules are not negotiable. Did you read the rules? No. He replies. He's he's holding on to the lectern. He hasn't shaved. And the report is that his shoe was also untied. That's very interesting, the judge said. The judge threatened to hold him in contempt of court if he broke the rules again. Well, here's the part that I don't understand. Why, why do you need a warning? I mean... Is, is this guy going to jail for being stupid? No. He's going to jail for what he actually did. And I don't think that anyone argued on his behalf that he was mentally challenged. So if the idea that you plead guilty means that you recognize what you did and you accept guilt and responsibility and you are willing to accept some punishment, the church just sort of throws that all out the window, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't wouldn't you think that uh, maybe the deal should go out the window too? Certainly the good behavior portion of his uh, plea should go out the window.
If you haven't seen him in this T-shirt, I recommend you go find a picture online. It, although don't don't do it right after you've eaten. You want to hold your breakfast down. More in a minute. WCPT. I'm Tori for Santita Jackson. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Seven minutes after seven o'clock. Good morning. Santita Jackson's show. It still is. She's just been uh, out a little bit under the weather this week. And so the wonderful progressive management here at WCBT said, just take the rest of the week. Feel better. We're hoping Monday that will be the case and that she'll be back here with you. I'm sure she would agree with that. I'm Tori with you, writer like the truck. You can find me on all the socials. And yes, that is my book. <laughs> and yes, that's me on the cover. So, um, well, the rendering of me balancing a lot of stuff. So it's fall and you may be balancing a lot of stuff. Thanksgiving approaching, perhaps family coming, perhaps travel for yourself. It's post-COVID. Everybody's excited. I mean, yeah, there's still COVID, but people are, are emerging like snails from their shells. Stick the little horns out. And I, I say snail from their shells because it's a garden thing. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what you can expect to see around you as the seasons change. If only you can take a moment to stop and enjoy it. Joining us now, I, I think it's, is it Tari or Tari? I want to make sure I get it right, considering that my name is Tori. So that's, <laughs> well, how do you pronounce your name? It is Terry. Terry. Okay. Terry Marshall. And, and your official title is Director of Public Relations. Is that right? At the Morton Arboretum? Yes, you got it right. Okay. And you can give us a little insight in, and give us some information on what the Arboretum is doing as we change seasons. And so what people could look at at the Arboretum and by extension, what they might even be seeing around where they live. What, what, if we can pick our heads up from our phones for a minute, what are we looking at here? Now, this is a time of year that people tend to, you know, bundle up and go indoors. But at the Arboretum, we stay outside all year long. And we really encourage people to do that because nature is just very healing no matter what time of year it is. So, you know, it's about dressing right, wearing the right kind of shoes. And even right now, there are still quite a few leaves on the trees. You know, I'm looking outside right now at some beautiful red leaves that are still on the trees. So, you know, people think, oh, it's the end of October. We're, you know, we're not going to go outside and we're not going to look anymore. We're not going to go to the Arboretum because all the leaves are gone. But there is still a lot of color to see. So we really encourage people to just get outdoors, take a breath. Put your devices down and appreciate the beauty that's around you. Yes. Whenever I go to the Arboretum, I always tell everybody I'm with, just leave your phone in the car. Just leave it here. And it's always worthwhile to do that, I think. And I mean, this season has been a weird one, though, for weather. How is the freeze them, freeze them, boil them, boil them weather that we've been having, <laughs> how has that affected the Arboretum and what people might see there or wherever they live? How is it, it, What's the outcome here? 
Yeah, it's really extended the season because there's, it has been warmer, um, you know, because, you know, the leaves will fall after it's been, you know, not so much sun or if it's cloudy, it's, we've also had a lot of beautiful sunny days. So as long as it stays sunny and then maybe it gets cold at night, but it's not cold during the day. So some of the trees are just retaining their leaves. And let's not forget the bushes. There was a bush um, in, just in my neighborhood of Uptown the other day that was scarlet. I'd, n- I'd never. And then there was another vine down the block that had turned these lovely fall colors, but still had its flowers. What are some of the remarkable things where people just kind of catch their breath and go, "Look, look at that"? You know, because there's such diversity at the arboretum. I mean, we have thousands of species of trees and you know in your neighborhood you may just have maples or you may just have oaks or you know certain types of trees but because we have so many different kinds of trees at any given time really during the year you're going to see something different at the arboretum i mean we've got 1700 acres i think people don't realize how vast it really is it there's nine miles of roads you know it takes like 20, 30 minutes just to drive through the entire arboretum. Um, you know, so we encourage people to just stop on the way and get out and take a walk through an oak grove, uh, you know, uh, admire the ginkgos. Now, the ginkgos have dropped their leaves, um, but, you know, some of the oaks and some of the maples are still retaining their leaves. Kind of oaks are kind of the last to go. Well, I'm glad you mentioned get out of your car. And I I have noted that the Arboretum is uh, rather accessible for people who may be wheelchair users or have un- different ways of, of getting around. Um, is it... Has that been a deliberate, conscious decision on the part of the Arboretum to make sure that you're accessible? And what kind of systems are in place for people who might want to get out and roll around? It is absolutely deliberate and a big commitment on the part of the Arboretum. And we still have a long way to go. You know, we're working with various community organizations to make sure that we identify where we can do better. But there are a lot of paved trails that are very accessible for wheelchairs or those who have um, need some physical access. Um, we even we have sensory um, backpacks even in our visitor center and our children's garden for those who may have sensory issues, for instance, oh. that you know might, might not make things as accessible for them. Tell me what um, that's like. I don't. I don't know what would be in a sensory backpack. I don't know what. What you would be t- tell me more about that you know it, it gives guidance for things to look for that may um they'll be easy for somebody to access um you know and there it's you know what to look for where where to look so you know for somebody who may have trouble um i you know just focusing on something in particular it's you know look at the leaves here you know um, look at this plant and you know we have water features we have lakes um you know w- what are things that would be soothing to someone who may have some sensory issues that's interesting i had no idea i hadn't even considered it so good for you for mentioning it i'm grateful <laughs> i i love to look um for the animals and the birds and the things that come around we we were just talking with um a birding club representative the other day on the air about renaming some birds that were named for some unsavory folks but People can see of whatever name and whatever level of expertise you have, they can see a lot of wildlife at the Arboretum too, right? 
Oh, absolutely. I, you know, that we nurture ecosystems, you know, by virtue of the trees that we have. And, uh, and that's the whole idea. So at any given time, there are a lot of birders who come to the Arboretum. We have classes and programs um, for bird watching. Uh, you know, we invite various organizations to come. There's a group called BIPOC Birders that That's likes to come group. to the Arboretum. That was the they, group who came on our show the other day, the BIPOC Birders. Absolutely. So Yeah, they, they're great partners of ours. Um, are they noticing people are making real efforts to do a lot of habitat resur- restoration, even even informally around their homes. I'm noticing fewer lawns and more monarch habitat, to, to put it in a sentence. Are you noticing uh, th- things coming through the Arboretum garden and, and environs that are new to the area? Um, you know, I am not a horticulturist. I will just... <laughs> well, I would imagine if that disclaimer, see but, something new that you want to yeah. promote it, like come see the, you know, purple, pursed, beak, sharpening, something or other, right? No? Yes, yes, yes. Well, we're building new collections and certainly our prairie. So we have what's called the Schulenburg Prairie uh, for the man who, you know, first restored it back in the 60s. Ah. Um, and we're expanding that prairie area. So a lot of natural... Natural area restoration is going on. Uh, we're also working with some indigenous organizations, that, you know, um, because the, the Arboretum is sitting on land that was, you know, the original home of uh, various indigenous tribes. And so, you know, working with them to make sure that we're doing it in a respectful and in a natural way um, to, to restore what was once there. Um, so at any given time, there are various projects going on around the Arboretum. I, and a lot of people don't know that we have a very large scientific team. Um, so we have scientists on site, on our staff, who are studying trees, studying plants, working internationally to save threatened species. Um, you know, so, you know, we have an international program going on right at the Arboretum. What kind of access would the public have to this, this products of these research? I mean, can visitors interact with the scientists at all? Do they make themselves available um, or, or are they strictly doing their research elsewhere? No, we, in fact, we do make an effort to make our scientists accessible. So we have various programs. If anybody goes to our website and searches for our learning opportunities, um, you know, they can look for programs where our scientists will be giving information. Uh, we just, during Hispanic Heritage Month, we had over a weekend, we had um, tours of the herbarium and, the, and some of the scientists gave presentations. So it's a matter of, you know, looking for those opportunities. They give, they call them tree talks, where the scientists will talk about the work that they're doing. Cool. Um, so they are very accessible at any time. And we make an effort to put out our science on our social media as well. Uh, you know, we just did a little video that you know, talked about tree, tree cookies, which is the slices of trees that the scientists use to like, date trees and get information about oh, trees. You can't eat them. You have to, you have to count them. <laughs> right. Well, let me, exactly. let me move. Speaking of accessibility, this is, I, I'm, I'm going to confess to you, if I come with a car full of people, I guess it's, it, it's a great opportunity, but the parking lot is, just drives me bananas. So, like, oh, it, no. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. So, um, what what kinds of 
Well, if a person doesn't have much money and they want to come to the Arboretum, there are still ways to do it, right? You don't have to necessarily park your car and you can come by by bike, I would imagine, or you may have some days when it's more like a bargain. How How do you do that for people who would maybe have a hardship coming in, even in a large group with a with a vehicle? Yeah. Oh, with a vehicle. So um, it's accessible by ride share. So you can certainly take a, a ride share. Ah. Um, you know, so, you know, bikes are welcome, but there is no bike lane leading to our entrance. Uh, ah. You know, something that's under discussion. But, um, you know, certainly you can take a ride share to the Arboretum at any time. Uh, some people will take the train out from the city and then take a, a Uber from the train station. Okay. Um, you know, it's just a couple miles away. So, I, I just uh, have to say, have- as it get cl- as it gets closer to Christmas and you do all that Christmas stuff, the parking lot is just, I mean, just, I'm sorry, but it's hard. So, <laughs> Well, and you know, we tell people, so people think that's the only place to park. We actually have multiple parking areas. It's, it's a matter of, um, you know, making sure that you, you find those parking areas. Okay, so my suggestion, kind of- <laughs> make a friend in the community who will let you park in their driveway. That's what I, get them to drive you, you drop go. you off. It's a beautiful it's a place. popularity. Yeah. When you're popular, uh, and, and you know, and I would add that parking is free at the Arboretum. And some, you know, a lot of places will say, oh, you know, the ticket is this much and then it's an additional for parking. But parking is included at the Arboretum. And do you have special rates for people like seniors and what on, or is it the same for everybody? No, um, and uh, Wednesdays in particular are, are a discount day for those who are looking for discounts. And we also have... Um, museums for all. So people who have uh, EBT link cards, WIC cards, uh, can get $1 um, ticket to the oh, Arboretum that's on great. a daily basis. I had no and idea. We, that's fantastic. So let's re- would you repeat that one more time? Because I think there may be people who would really benefit from that. Absolutely. It's called Museums for All. And if they go to our website, they can find information about how to get those tickets. You can get them online or you can you can call um, to get those tickets. But they're only a dollar on a daily basis. We also offer free entry for active duty military and their families every day. Um, So if you're an active duty military member or if you're a family member with a family ID, you uh, you don't have to reserve tickets in advance. You can just come show your military ID, and it's free entry every day. I'm glad to hear you say that because I I do know people who are serving, and um, I can tell you their budgets are tight. So this is really nice. I want to compliment you on how loved you are by the people who've discovered the Arboretum. I have a friend who is taking care of a spouse who is really, really ill. And what he likes to do when he has a respite is just walk around or ride his bike in the Arboretum. And it's very healing for him. And I have a I have a beloved girlfriend who passed away a couple of years ago and on her list of things she wanted to do when she entered hospice was go one more time to the Morton Arboretum and just enjoy being there. And her family took her and it was it was wonderful for her just to have that 
it means a lot to people to be able to go and be in nature and see um, the the variety and the restoration of that variety that you have collected there. Do you want to? So thank you for that. On my just personally, thank you for that. Um, do you want to just point people to a particular like a concert or an event that's going on in the in the next little while? Well, uh, uh, this this weekend, uh, starting this weekend, is Illumination Tree Lights at the Morton Arboretum, uh, which is our most popular event of the year. It's our big holiday light exhibition, um, and it, this is the 11th year, and I have to say that I think it's better than it ever has been. You know, they keep coming up with new technology and new ways to focus on the trees, and, you know, people come every year. It's kind of once people come, they're hooked, and they want to come back year after year to see what's new, or they have favorites that they're like, don't take that away. I want to come and see it every year. Um, so that starts Saturday, and um, and also tonight we have a Luma Brew, um, which is uh, Thursday tonight and tomorrow night, Friday, where we've got 35 local craft breweries on site. So it's like kind of a first look preview of illumination and you can get um, tastings. You're telling me that the lights look better after you've had a few beers is what you're telling me. (laughs) I I guess for this one, you want to make sure you take that Uber from the train. That that sounds like the way to handle the Illuma Brew event. Well, I'll just point people to your website so they can find out more, which is Morton Arb, M-O-R-T-O-N-A-R-B dot org. Lots of stuff, as you just pointed out, beginning this week. And you can find out all about it there. Terry Marshall, thank you so much for being with us on WCPT and kind of reminding us, if if we haven't been lately, of what an asset the Morton Arboretum really is. Um, and, and even if you're married to someone who doesn't like the outdoors and you like the indoors, there it's pretty civilized for both this time of year. So I can vouch for that as the non-camper in the family. I can, and we do have indoor spaces for yes, people to go. <laughs> yes, and, and I believe you have hot chocolate and cider at a certain point as well. Oh, we have hot chocolate and illumination along the trail and fire pits. There you go. That's what. And who doesn't need a fire pit? When it's weirdly 70 degrees in the middle of November, I have no idea what's going on outside. But sooner or later, you're going to need that fire pit. Thank you so much, Terry. It's been great having you on WCPT. I hope we get to talk again. I'm Tori Ryder in for Santita Jackson. And uh, we will be uh, meeting in a moment. Microphone back. I need my microphone back. It took away my. I should thank, by the way. Um, maybe not when I've just had my microphone taken away, but I'm thank him anyway. Henry behind the controls and, and Julia, who's helped me bring these amazing guests, um, get them up so early in the morning. Annie Corson, whom you heard in the, in the first hour of the show, it is four in the morning for her, and she's that awake. Right. I just want to point that out. It's kind of. That's that's the quality of the people you get on WCPT. People who are willing to get up at four in the morning to be with you as you start your day. So in a moment, you're going to meet. I just I just talked to her for the first time briefly yesterday. Although we've both been in talk radio for literally decades, um, you're going to want to meet a woman who was hired to be a talk show host in Los Angeles on their progressive talk station. Not affiliated with this one, affiliated with an entirely different network, 
but she also has an online radio show that's just her. And on this radio show that's online, she just, you know, does it for her own enjoyment and she can be in her language, let's put it this way, relaxed. There are things, as you know, there are things that, words I can't use here at WCPT. I can talk around them. That's no problem. I can call somebody an anal orifice, no problem on this air. Nobody's going to call the FCC about that. So those are polite terms. I mean, you don't want to be one, but you get the point. But on her own show online, um, Nicole Sandler can use whatever language she wants. And she can talk about whatever she wants. And because of what she did online, her job offer at this progressive talk station disappeared. And I would call this suspicious circumstances. Because, well, you'll hear her talk about it. There are some big questions about why she actually lost her job on a progressive talk station. Specifically, does one have to have a particular view on the Israel-Hamas war in order to be a progressive person? And I'm particularly interested in this because I am the station's moderate. I'm the mainline Democrat around here. I think some people on the air here would probably call me a closet Republican. Isn't so, by the way. The only time I've ever pulled a Republican ballot was to screw up the Republicans in the primary. I have been known to do that. Um, You know, it's a good question. Have you ever lived in a place where you had to take the ballot of a party you really disagree with just to mess them up or just because there is, you know, the, the, the entire election hinges on who wins the primary because the other party is virtually non-existent, kind of like how Chicago is. If you're a Republican in Chicago, you just might as well vote Democratic and try and get the Democrat who's most in line with your values because you will not be getting the Republican for most offices. So she said, that's what I am around here. I'm kind of the closet mainline Democrat, not a closet. I'm out. I'm out. Uh, But you're going to find out how progressive you get to be, what is considered progressive, and when is the reason you've lost your job legit, and when is it a fig leaf for something much, much worse? That's coming up on the Santita Jackson Show. I am Turi with you, rider like the truck. Join me on my socials if you like. Join me here at 773-763-WCPT by text or even by phone. There's more to come. This is the Santita Jackson Show. It is Santita Jackson's show. I am Tori with you, rider like the truck, in for Santita. This is an opportunity for you. Oh, by the way, Santita, we hope we'll be back Monday, just in case you're wondering, where the heck is Santita Jackson? Resting, mending. Wait till Monday. Patience, patience. You will have your Santina back again. You may have met this woman if you've been a long, long, long time WCPT listener. Uh, she was part of an earlier incarnation, probably the first network 
uh, one of the first, because I guess Pacifica was before that, to try to do um, progressive talk, uh, and which was very active during the rise of right-wing talk. But she's done all kinds of radio. She's been on in New York. She's been on in Los Angeles. She's hosted her own morning shows. She's been a boss. She's been a music director. And weirdly, she's hosted every day part except the traditional girl shift of overnights. <clears throat> I can speak to that. Uh, and she moved online from uh, a, a show on this progressive network. Her name is Nicole Sandler. She was just about to move back to being over the air again on the progressive station in Los Angeles. And then something happened. Nicole, welcome to WCPT. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Tori. It's good to talk to you. Okay. So what happened to set it all up let it all out without get, let, let's hear the whole the whole thing i want to know the bottom line is um for a, a, a while now this new interim program director at kpfk in los angeles which is the pacifica station there um has been trying to get me on the air she is apparently a fan of uh, she was a fan back in the mark and brian days uh, in the early 90s, I produced Mark and Brian, the number one morning show in L.A., um, and is still a fan of my online show. That's why this is so peculiar, because she's been listening for a long time and seemingly had no problem with the fact that I use some salty language online, where, guess what, you're allowed to do that because the FCC has no say. Right. They have no control. There are no seven dirty words right. you can't say on the Internet. Right. Um as you mentioned, I'm a pro. I've been doing this for over 40 years. I've been on the air and I've been on the Internet. The two are completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for months, this show has been in the works. They, they, I just moved from Florida to Arizona. Before I left Florida, they offered me the show. We've been planning it. It was supposed to begin this Friday, tomorrow. And this would, have been, this would have been a weekly show on the air in Los Angeles, right? That's that's what was right. supposed was, to happen. It was going to be Fridays at 5 o'clock, which, frankly, is the best time of the week. And I was going to do a light, fun, you know, deconstructing the news one segment, having a guest another, and opening the phones to talk to the people of Los Angeles. Bring in music and and fun and yeah, tackle difficult topics, but certainly a completely different show than what I do online. So what um, went wrong? Well, you know, last week I, I'm I'm in addition to doing my show at NicoleSandler.com, I stream live onto YouTube and Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, all the usual outlets, and the the my YouTube. That room is very active during the show. So, and I'm a one-woman show. I produce it. I engineer it. I do everything. Um, and I monitor the chat room. Well, I noticed last week a couple of what I will call trolls. And one was this woman who wait, I wait, later wait, wait, found wait, out. Hold up. Before yeah. you get to that, mm-hmm. what yeah. had you yeah. been talking about that might have led someone to mm-hmm. troll you? To troll me. Well, I, you know, for a progressive I have the very unpopular stance of uh, talking about the uh, war between Israel and Hamas um, that, uh, you know, it's funny. What I say is 
I'm an atheist Jew. I've never, never been religious at all. I've never felt a great compunction to come forward and, and, and profess my Judaism or my support for Israel. In fact, I've been very critical. I think, I think Netanyahu is a war criminal. I think he needs to go. He's, a, a, he's got multiple criminal indictments against him, just like the former guy here, and he should not be in office. Um, I've been very clear about that. I don't like their policies. However, I support Israel's right to exist. And a flip, a switch was flipped in my brain after October 7th. Mm -hmm. I am still stunned by the atrocities that were committed on innocent civilians inside of Israel by Hamas. I don't confuse Hamas with the Palestinian population. I'm, I, I think Gaza is an open-air prison. I mean, I, I, I say I hit all the right progressive notes. After all, I'm a lifelong progressive. However, my stance that there can be no ceasefire if both parties don't adhere to it, that there was a ceasefire in effect on October 7th when Hamas broke it and invaded Israel and committed atrocities that we've not seen since the Holocaust. Um, uh, apparently, that was a bridge too far for at least one of the members of the KPFK local station board. Um, so wait, and, wait, you so, hold up. I got your position now. So there's somebody exactly. yep. you're talking about this, and you notice on your chat that someone is upset about this. Have I got that right? You got that right. Okay, and so she came it, in to stir it, up trouble. This particular topic was the thing that caused her to pop up. And what kinds of things was she saying about you in your chat? And by the way, none of that is really unusual. We get trolled. I get trolled. You get trolled. But in, in this case, what what kind of stuff seemed to be bothering her? Well, she the, the fact that I could dare... Um, be defending Israel in any way, shape, or form. Now, granted, I don't defend Netanyahu. I don't defend a lot of the actions by the IDF. I don't like the Likud party. I think um, Israel has lost its course. However, the innocent Israeli people did not deserve what was rained down upon them that day. And by the way, every day, and this is also part of my problem, is that the media coverage has been so one-sided. We hear about rockets going from Israel into Gaza, but you don't hear about the thousands of rockets that go every day from Gaza into Israel. The, the reason why I they want have to point that out. They are certainly not out of rockets on the Hamas side. Oh no. No, they're not out oh, of no. they're not out of ammo. So, okay, I mean if, if people who are upset about the, the hospital invasion and it's disturbing um it's interesting. I heard uh, somebody talking to the BBC the other day, and he finally let the BBC have it. He said, you know, you just believe any numbers Hamas gives you. You just assume mm-hmm. that the people shooting people trying to leave the hospital are Israel. You have no proof for any of this. And it's been very interesting, as you point out, to watch the news organizations just sort of repeating on, on both sides, for that matter, whatever yep. line they're given. Although when Israel says, you know, we we have proof, they say, well, the news organizations will say, well, we we haven't verified this proof. But interestingly, right, exactly. when uh, when Hamas gives figures, the most you'll get out of the the mainstream media is um, the health authority is Hamas. So right. yeah, they don't go that next day. So now you're getting trolled. This woman is saying what now to you on on your she's feed? Just, she's She's harassing, honestly, people in the chat room where I heard from a number of them. Who is this person? She 
she professed to, to have listened to my show because I have guest hosted. I don't know if you know Brad Friedman, who hosts the broadcast. Brad is an old dear friend of mine. I've guest hosted his show dozens of times. I've been on KPFK's air hosting his show. I'm up on the Pacifica, you know, um, library where all the stations can pick those shows. I've done it dozens of times. Not only has there never been a complaint about me, <laughs> um, but, but, but people have praised and said, why aren't you on more often? Okay, so um, now let's, let's move forward. So now you've set the table nicely. So now okay. you're supposed to start your KPFK show tomorrow. Tomorrow. And now tomorrow. what happens? In, well, it had been in the works for months. And on, so this woman trolled my chat room for two days. By the way, I thought, you know, we're on the Progressive Voices Network as well. And I follow Randy Rhodes. And so uh, I heard from a number of my regulars in the chat room that the the same woman was trolling Randy Rhodes' chat room because... Go figure. She has the same position that I do. I pretty much just report. just for full disclosure, I, w- I would say that I'm. You could probably speak well for me as as well, just in case anybody wants to know. Full disclosure: where I am on this. But go ahead. Okay. So now, now it turns out she's all over the progressive networks, and now magically something happens to your show that you're supposed to start. Right. So I I get a call on Sunday from the interim GM and the interim program director of KPFK because they don't have they don't have any actual staff because in case you hadn't heard Pacifica is is hanging by a thread KPFK particularly they're about to lose their building um, they're having financial problems gee I wonder why so um, so I get a call from them they're concerned all of a sudden because of the language that I use on my show on the internet and I explained to them, I've been doing this for over 40 years. As I told you at the beginning, I know the difference between online and over the air. There are two different animals. There are uh, uh, regulations that you must adhere to. Right. And in so, fact, my first show on KPFK was going to have Kelly Carlin as a guest to talk about the seven dirty words. Oh, page. that's beautiful. But, okay, so so they they reach out to you, what, by phone, by message and email saying, you know, we're, we're really worried, Nicole. You use some, use some racy language there on your online broadcast. Yep. And, no, and, racy, but not racist. Oh, no, no, no. Absolutely. With <laughs> a Y, not an I-S-T. Yes, you, thank you, you. Yeah, you skate right up to that. Um, I mean, we all skate right up to the line on the air, but we know the difference. I mean, we all know what we can. Okay, so you get this. What because is it, a call or an email? What do they send you? We have a, we have a conference call on ah, Sunday, okay. and they raise their uh, concerns, and I thought I assuaged their concerns. Um, and I, I gave them other. Sh- so apparently this person suggested that the uh, GM listen to a few specific shows in which, to be honest with you, I was raw. I was emotional. I get that way. It's my little corner of the Internet. Uh, no one's paying me a salary. The only money I make from it is the donations from listeners. Um, it, that's not what I do when I'm over the air. Right. It's a different animal. Well, they so should be I thought, clear. I mean, it's very odd. It's like saying to somebody, you know, we're worried about your professional uh, clothing presentation at work based on photos your husband took of you in lingerie. I mean, it makes no right. sense. It, they're two different settings. Exactly. Two different purposes, 
two different opportunities for you to communicate in two different spheres. And obviously mm-hmm. you make this clear to them. And then what happens? You assuage them, um, you think. I thought until yesterday, as I'm promoting the show, as I've been doing, because it was supposed to start Friday, tomorrow at five o'clock. Um, and I put out, you know, I had recorded promos for them. I had made graphics for them. Everything they asked me to do, I was doing. And I, I put out uh, a, a few social media posts. And then I go on the, the KPFK website and I see that. My there's no mention of me at all. Ooh. In fact, there's a whole paragraph on the home page of the changes happening starting this week, but I'm left off. Ooh. So I emailed the interim program director, um, hear nothing. I text her, hear nothing. I text her again, and then I get a phone call from the general manager saying, you know, I had a really rough night. The station was knocked off the air. And he's going through a whole litany of things that are, you know, that are problems at KPFK right now, none of which has anything to do with me. And then he says, and so um, it was a tough decision, but we decided not to move forward with your show. I'm like, huh. wait a minute. It's been months in the works. Your program director is a regular listener and a fan of what I do, but all of a sudden now you have concerns? So where do you think, why? What what is the reason? Yeah, why? Well, the reason they gave is, well, it changes. It keeps changing, and I'm hearing from a lot of listeners who called the station yesterday, and they're all being told something different. My language, they don't trust me. It's like, really? Where in my 40 years on the air? I told the story yesterday of the one time I said the SH word uh, by mistake because my mic was open. One time in 40 years. Um, It's not an issue. But this one person who was trolling my chat room sits on the local board. Ah, How did you figure that out? How how did you Um, made you aware? On the call on Saturday, the first thing they said was her name. Ah. And I'm like, ah, of course it was. So the tr- let, was let's trolling. pause. Let's pause for a moment just to make sure people are joining us on the Santita Jackson show. Just so they know, we're talking with Nicole Sandler. She has an online talk show. She's a 40-year over-the-air radio veteran. You may have even heard her on these airwaves in years gone mm-hmm. by. She gets a gig once a week at, at Pacifica's Progressive Talk Station in L.A., and somebody doesn't like her take on the Israel-Hamas right. war. That person sits on the board, and they make mm-hmm. trouble. And instead of instead of saying to you, um, we'd rather you just didn't tackle this topic, for example— um, Which I wasn't planning on doing anyway. <laughs> they just say, you know what? We're we're not gonna we're gonna punish you. We're gonna take away mm-hmm. this work opportunity for you, and then we're gonna blame it on language that you use in a completely different context. Exactly. Well, that, that strikes that's me. It. So, so what would you call that? Well, I would say the only you know. So, what changed in the two months? So, two and a half months we've been planning this program in which um, the interim program director has been listening, knows exactly what I say and do on my show, never raised a concern because she knows that I'm a pro. What changed? Gee, my stance on the, on the the fact that there is this war and my opinion on it. Now, they won't come out and say that, of course. No, they have a, they don't trust me. 
I've given them no reason not to trust me. Um, and so, you know, this woman, from what I learned, I, someone commented on YouTube on, on my show from yesterday when I explained the whole story and said she's in a Zoom group with this woman this person who trolled my chat room and she rallied support. It's very political, not terms of electoral politics, but station politics. So there are two different factions at KPFK. She rallied her troops to have me canceled. By the way, I was volunteering my time. They weren't going to pay me for the show. Well, I, I I'm guessing that she raises money for the, the, Outfit. Oh, yeah. I, I have to say that oh, the, sure. the one time KPF, all the Pacifica stations have mm-hmm. been, wh- whether you agree with this stance or not, but they've had an anti-Zionist uh, position for, for years. This is not new yeah. for them, um, I, whether you like it or whether you don't. But what's interesting to me is when progressive groups have decided that there's only one way to be a progressive. There's only one view you can have. And even and when I mentioned on my socials that you were going to come and, and speak about um, your unemployment, I, you can't really call it a firing because they didn't technically hire you. My canceling. You're canceling, right. I immediately got political stuff. Well, she doesn't believe this. Is she going to, did she say this? Did she say that? And it, it isn't even at this point about what you said. It's about whether there is some checklist that you have to subscribe to or some particular views that you must hold in order to be considered a progressive. And at this point, right. I think it's becoming very, very clear. I mean, weirdly, progressive people, allies with progressive causes are being shoved out of the the formerly warm and welcoming and fuzzy home um, mm-hmm. because we don't share a particular view on one particular subject. And even now I'm looking at the I'm looking at my phone lines and people want to push back on your view. But that's not wow. the same thing as saying you have you're not a progressive no. because you have this view. And I really right. and people are allowed to disagree with me. They do all the time. Um, but but be honest about it. Yeah, one one thing though, Tori, that I saw on your socials that you said was she fired for being Jewish. It wasn't because I'm Jewish. The, the, the interim GM made a point to tell me that he's Jewish. It's not about that. It's about my stance on the war. I think Hamas needs to be defeated. I think the hostages need to be brought home. And I know for a fact, because they've told us time and again, Hamas has, that they would not adhere to any ceasefire. And a ceasefire only works if both sides participate. Yes. Well, that that's just math. <laughs> if you only have if you only have one side not shooting, that that is not a ceasefire. That's a surrender. Um, that's fine. I have you followed at all. The New York Times did a very interesting podcast about what Hamas wanted out of October 7th and this effort. What is it that they really wanted? And it was kind of fascinating to me. Uh, the New York Times reporter met with Hamas's political machine, which operates in Lebanon and operates in uh, Qatar. And they 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 just wanted I swear this was so horrifying, chilled me in my soul. They just wanted to shake things up. They wanted to bring their cause forward. And they didn't. Yeah. They, they didn't really – they were asked by the New York Times reporter, what about the civilian death toll that you knew would follow? Because, of course, 
it was pretty obvious what what would follow. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the New York Times, the New York we're, Times we're reporter said over and over again, there wa- they did not give a satisfactory answer to that question. And by satisfactory, I'm assuming he meant we care about our civilians here in Gaza. Um, it's, it's a it's a really interesting. Yeah, it really is fascinating. And I. And then on the same, like, uh, you, if you hear the BBC, you'll hear about these ongoing massacres in South Sudan. You hear about them you know, all over the world. And yet, for some reason, for some reason, yeah. the National Book Award, uh, the writers all stand up and, and say, well, you know, we, we're, we're not speaking about the prizes because we want to speak about Israel and Hamas. And at a certain yeah. point, you, you just, you, you have to wonder, why just this horrific conflict? Why just this disaster of of humanity? Why, why just here? Which isn't to take anything away from the disaster of humanity. It's just to ask, you know, wh- where is your outrage on these these other issues? And I think the answer is is pretty obvious. But you know, if I have to spell it out for people, then they're really not thinking. Um, Well, a lot of them are not thinking. They're just going along with what these progressive groups and publications tell them they should be thinking. I'm not saying everybody. Most people who are listening to this program, this station, who listen to progressive media have discerning opinions that they think for themselves. But the masses don't. And they just don't understand that they're being um, uh, proselytized to believe a certain way. And the fact that this is happening on college campuses and the rise of anti-Semitism is levels that I've never seen in my very long life so far is disturbing on so many levels. It's disturbing and it's frightening. And and to watch governments kind of paralyzed like deer in the headlights. I've never been prouder of Joe Biden, by the way. He's got a spine and spine seems to be missing in a lot of places right now. I loved what the atheist Sam Harris, you know, Sam Harris, famous atheist. He's Mm -hmm. written very elegantly on this conflict. But the bottom line is... It's the Maya Angelou quote. If somebody tells you who they are, you should believe them. If somebody tells you that their goal is to wipe out an entire people, you should believe them. Um, yeah. And I'm with you um, that that uh, the government of Israel prior to October 7th was they they were Trump with different accents. They were horrifying. Yeah. And, and and yet somehow. Um, nobody says, well, we had Donald Trump, therefore America shouldn't exist from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Let's free America (laughs) from the, from the MAGA Republicans. That, that doesn't happen. And when I hear, I I actually sat down to lunch once with, um, family by marriage and they were going on and on about the occupation, which I, I think is a travesty. It really shouldn't be happening. And, you know, but again, how do you negotiate with people who don't want to negotiate? But this person was going on and on about, you know, who had this land first. And we're having this lunch in rural Oregon. And I said, well, it wasn't very long ago that this lovely property where your art studio is and your home is built belonged to an entirely different group of people. Much more recently. Perhaps you'd care to give it back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That doesn't doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. And one can only dig a little deeper and see the rising 
tide of um, hostilities towards you and me because we happen to be Jewish. Um, And it's not only you and me, it's everywhere. And what's happening on college campuses is frightening. Um, it, I'm, I'm, uh, I wasn't alive during the 30s, but uh, boy, the, the echoes of history repeats itself are loud and clear. And, and I, I also want to add to that. I, I want to add into that to be to be really fair. There, there's been horrific behavior towards our Muslim community here in this country. That's and I just think that. you would agree with me that that both are execrable and must be addressed and stopped. And people have a right to practice their views and opinions, even if we completely disagree. I mean, what it is to be progressive is yeah. that we safeguard the free speech of others. And I'm so yep. sorry that this show and any chance that things will change, by the way, with the seconds we have left. Oh, no, no, because even if they they came around and admitted that they were wrong, um, I tell them to take that job and, you know. Which is why your listeners love you. Nicole Sandler, thank yep. you so much. I know that people will find you, but if, if they can't, they can just Google your name, Nicole Sandler. They'll find your website. They'll find your YouTube talk show. They'll be charmed by you and entertained by you. And thank you for being a progressive voice that's a little bit different than what's being required <laughs> of us right now. It was a pleasure. WCPT Santita Jackson Show. I'll be here tomorrow for Santita.